Coming up in this episode, Randy is back and he wants to talk about a couple of things like wheels and carburetors and fuel injection. Yes, sir. So stick around. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to Random Thoughts from the Road on the Ozark Rides Digital Network. Conversations about motorcycles, any random thoughts that pop into our head, and of course, one of the best places to ride in America, the Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas. And now, here's your host from OzarkRides.com, Craig Allen and Randy Lewis. Work hard, Heartland Honda. Heartland Honda Power Sports and Arena is your go-to place for everything Honda. We have Honda street bikes, dirt bikes, and scooters. We have Honda ATVs and side-by-side. We have five highly competent, red-level certified technicians for all your Honda service needs. We even have Honda Power Equipment and Honda Marine products. Established in 1996, and we are still locally owned and operated. Check out Harlan Honda, Power Sports and Marine, Exit 72 in Springdale. For your safety, read the owner's man, wear a helmet, eye protection, always wear your seatbelt, and keep side nets, doors closed, ATVs, and side-by-side subscribers 16 years and older. There he goes, finally off to work. You know, it's been six months since his accident. He just got his new bike, was going to take it for a spin around the block. Some idiot looking at his phone ran a stoplight and plowed right into him. Steve was hurt pretty bad. Thank goodness he was wearing a helmet. And thank goodness for Schmidt Law Firm. Motorcycle accidents happen. Schmidt Law Firm will prove negligence and help you get full recovery. Find them online at KansasCityLawyers.com. Put Schmidt Law Firm on your side of the table because motorcycle accidents do happen. There's no better way to top off your ride through Pulaski County, Missouri, than to spend some time floating peacefully downstream and dipping your toes in the cool currents of their pristine waterways. Whether you float by kayak, canoe, or raft, float trips are the heart of the Ozarks. Nearly 100 miles of twisting waterways, including the Big Piney and Gasconade Rivers, each offering unique float experiences and scenery. Rubido Spring, with its pristine waters providing the perfect natural swimming hole, plus a labyrinth of submarine caves and caverns. Local outfitters ready to make your trip effortless with gear such as life jackets and vessels, including inner tubes, paddle boards, kayaks, and canoes. Numerous hotels, campgrounds, and RV parks are ready to host your group. Plan your trip by taking the online tour at visitpulaskicounty.org. Well, welcome back to another episode of Random Thoughts from the Road. With me is mostly, because you weren't here last time, it was too cold, you bless its heart. God F around. Don't, don't pull that shit. That was a cover-up for you. Oh, for I've me, got, I was here. I got you. I showed you. up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got a long trip to go there. Yeah. yeah. I got to do the podcast in my underwear. Yeah. It says... Randy, I'm just too cold right now. Just don't worry about it. I'm like, well, fuck, whatever. All right. Uh, in his defense, <laughs> he did say he would go ahead and come out. Yeah. But, you know, I would have to listen to him whine. And so, Shut but it's up. a beautiful sunny day today. And you Shut showed up, up. and uh, you got your cookies and beer. Yes, sir. Yeah. What, what Why my you? wife dodes on you with making you cookies is beyond explanation. Yeah, I have no idea. Poor decision-making skills on her It's part. probably because she's so used to such a feminine man around the house that she's when a man comes in, she gets a little bit, I don't know, the uh, 
the pH balance changes a little bit. Are you little? <laughs> so <laughs> she's like, oh, I got to get this guy fed. We're old. The pH balance <laughs> is gone a long time ago. Oh, that's funny. That's so, funny. Yeah. Humidity rises a bit. Exactly. <laughs> so the subject that you wanted to broach upon, since you weren't here last time, you get to choose what we're going to talk about. Yeah. And tell the kids out there what you want to talk about. So a couple of the biggest things that people talk to me about when they come in the shop, one is wheels because, you know, changing the wheels changes the attitude of a motorcycle, hands down, all, all the time. Well, we live in a poor community, so the cheapest thing that you could do to change the wheels is put a set of spoke wheels on because they're not very expensive. No, they're not. But aside from the cost, I like the looks of a fat spoke. I bet you do. Big old hog right there, huh? Boy's got a mouth like a cannon, always shooting it off. All right, all right. Yeah, you know, that's, it, that's a trend that kind of came on. Frick, I can't remember how many years ago, but I would say within the past 10 years, you started seeing a lot more fat spoke wheels. Well, there's multiple brands of those. DNA makes a killer wheel, truthfully. That's probably one of the more top-end wheels that you can get. They're kind of pricey for spoke wheels, but then Ultima makes a wheel as well. Damn near the spinning image of a DNA wheel. And the idea is instead of those thin spokes and they're cross-laced, they're straight laced is what they are. So they come straight from the hub to the rim part of it. And they're about a three eighths of an inch thick as opposed to that one eighth or three sixteenths inch spoke that's on a traditional wheel. Now with those, they're, they've got drop centers in the wheel. The rim part of the wheel is what I'm talking about. And what that is, is there's a center section where it, it kind of drops towards the spoke and then goes back out to where the ceiling for the, t the tire is. That's all filled with silicone. So then you run a spoke wheel without a tube. And that's kind of how they get around not running the tube is they fill it with silicone. Fills off all the nipples on the spokes so it doesn't leak air. Anyway, that's the premise behind it. That's how you get around not running a tube into a spoked wheel. Now there's a bunch of places that sell those, those Ultima wheels. They're not very expensive. Like a 21 3.5, what you'd see on most touring bikes. Dual disc, single disc, whatever. Um, usually come with billet hubs on them. They're pretty decent wheels for most people. You know, most people just love the way that they look. They love the expense. The average cost on them is somewhere around 400 bucks, maybe five or $600 if you're, you get ripped. But there's places you can get them for around 400 bucks. Cheap. You know, that's really inexpensive for a 21-inch wheel. You go to a 21-inch, what I call a mag wheel, that's not spoked. Usually it's cut at a billet. It's got a design into it. Now, there's cheap Chinese wheels out there all day long. We've established we don't do Chinese. Yeah, you can get those for five, six hundred, seven hundred dollars Hell, I've seen 26s for 700 bucks that are mag wheels like that. Super inexpensive way to do it. If you're ever around a bunch of motorcyclists that know what the hell they're talking about or know what parts are, they'll pick that out every single day. They'll be like, well, that's a TCMT wheel or that's a Chinese wheel, whatever. Then you bridge to like Ride Right or some of the other big names, and they usually start around a thousand to twelve hundred bucks just for the wheel. Now, when you buy these wheels, they come set up with bearings. They're they're ready to put a tire on, put rotors on, and throw it onto your bike. Now, the benefits to each one is different. So, by the engineering aspect of a spoked wheel, you have usually 40 and up the amount of spokes that you have on a wheel and what it does is it pulls from every aspect of the outer rim to the hub 
So once you get one trued and straight, they're pretty strong because it's pulling tension all the way around the entire outside of the rim. It pulls tension, so it's hard to it's harder to bend. Now I'm not saying that you can't bend one. I've seen people bend the shit out of a spoked wheel. The pro side of that is that if you bend a spoke wheel, well, it can be trued. It can be straightened. It can be manipulated. If you bend it bad enough where you break spokes or bend spokes, you got to replace the spokes. But you can do something else with that rim to get it back straight. Typically with a mag wheel, you bend one of those, you're screwed. Like, it's replace it. Now, there are some shops out there that try to straighten them, and they do a pretty good job at it. But when you get those mag wheels that got a lot of cutout in them, there's not a lot of meat in the center. It's hard to straighten those. It's pretty much just replace people it gets to be costly it can especially if you ride hard or ride stupid and you're you're breaking or bending wheels like crazy it's the plus side to a mag wheel is not running an inner tube inner tubes for whatever reason was the standard forever but now they kind of suck people hate running tubes mainly because say you say you get a puncture in your tire so with a mag wheel you don't have to run an inner tube the idea behind that is is say you get a puncture out on the road well, you can just throw a plug into it, air it back up. It'll let you get somewhere safely with an aired up tire. When you have a tube and you get a puncture, just plugging the tire is not going to help you because it will still leak out past the spokes if you just try right. to add air. So granted, you could air it up, but it's going to go flat again. The appropriate way to fix that would be to pull the tube out, put a new tube in it, or patch the tube to be able to get you by. Most people don't carry all that shit on, the, on their bike to fix it on the side of the road. So that's what kind of sucks about having a spoked wheel with an inner tube as opposed to a mag wheel with no inner tube. They're harder to fix on the side of the road. Now, people that love spokes but hate tubes typically buy those because they want the spoke but they don't want the tube. And I have seen wheel manufacturers make the thin spoke, kind of the classic style, with a silicone-filled drop center. I've even seen guys kind of DIY shit like that and take an old, say, a 21 by 2.15 or a 21.35 that takes a tube and it has a drop center. They'll fill it with their own silicone. So people then ask me about balancing it and the weight and all that. Well, there's multiple ways to balance it. You can do static. You can do dynamic. You can do beads, balancing beads. You can do a whole bunch of stuff. The idea that if you filled it with your silicone yourself, that it would be uneven in some spots and heavier in some spots and lighter in other spots, if you do it well, it's really not that far off. What's your opinion about the beads? I always hear different uh, opinions, you know, the pendulum swinging one way or the other. Typically what I find with people in general is, well, they have an input and no experience. You know, they have an opinion on it, but no experience. You know, a lot of guys will say, oh, I hate balancing beads. I'm like, okay, when'd you run them? Well, I've never ran them. Well, then how the hell do you know you hate them? Me personally, I use them in stuff. I use them in badass, expensive wheels where you don't want to put a weight on the outside of it. You spend on some of these wheels, like these 26 and 30 inch wheels, some of them are four or $5,000. And nobody wants to put a stick-on weight onto a $4,000 wheel on a custom bike and then have that seen. So then you run balancing beads in it. There is actually another piece of balancing that you could do. Uh, I want to say it's called a hub-centric balancer. Some of them are fluid. Some of them are beads. Most of them are fluid, I believe. You bolt it on to the hub where the rotor would go. Right. Or 
and they're really, really thin where they meet up where the rotor bolts on. So you don't have a thickness change and moves your rotor out. But what it does is it's a fluid balancing at the rotor and it, it does the same thing as the beads. So what the beads, the premise behind the beads is you throw them in your tire and it's balanced. Well, how do you, how do you say that it's balanced? It's if a centrifugal. Yes. Yes. So I think it's around 35 miles an hour relatively. So that tire in combo gets balanced every single time you go over 35 miles an hour. Under 35, you don't usually feel a difference or see a difference or hear or have a difference in balance because you're not going to get a bunch of top end, you know, bounce. When you talk about balancing, usually when they're out of balance, the tire wants to jump up and down, not create a wobble per se. So every time you travel over 35 miles an hour, it rebalances. The great idea about that is, is you're, you get a little bit better tire life out of it because as a tire changes, well, the balancing point would inherently change as well in theory. Well, flip side of that in theory, well, no, it should wear evenly all the way around. Well, that's not the case. You know, tires don't always wear evenly, especially if you have issues with your bike. So you throw balancing beads in there. There's a equation per se. Most of the time when you buy those, it tells you how many ounces to put in what size of a tire. What I can tell you is, is the shorter the sidewall, the less effect those beads have, if that makes sense. Yeah. The taller the sidewall, the easier and, and smoother it typically is. But usually it's around, you know, two and a half to three ounces you'd throw into there and it, it's fine. I've not run into a situation where balancing beads have caused an imbalance in a tire. Now I have seen it come from other shops that have put balancing beads into it and it have a wobble or a balance, if you will. And then people bring it to me and they're like, whoa, what the hell? I just had these tires put on. Why is it imbalanced? It's, it's got beads in it. When I pull it apart, you know, it's got like six ounces of beads or something in there way overdone. So there you can go too much when there's too much and it throws it to that odd balance or the out of balance spot. Well, now it's overbalancing it. If that makes sense. It does. And it, it's creating more weight than it absolutely needs because all those beads will travel to that out of balance spot, but say it only needs two ounces to balance and you got six in there. Well, now you got a four ounce imbalance. So that's the premise behind the beads. I, I do like them. I don't run them on everything. You can't really run them in tubes. Uh, the reason why is now you can, I mean, physically you could, but I have seen where those beads eat up the inside of the tube and make it thin. That's a lot thinner it's than just not prudent a tube. To do it. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's two ways to fill a tire with balancing beads. One, I put the tire on, line up the balancing mark. I inflate it to where it sets both beads. And then I break one spot of the bead back down, use my tire iron, pry it open a little bit and pour in the beads like that. And then reset the bead, fill it up to right inflation. And that's that. Well, when you buy most of those kits, they come with a little bottle and a little short tube of hose. Squirt them in. Yeah. You put them in through the valve stem. Yes, it can be done. Yes, it's a pain in the dick. It's, I mean, it's one of the right ways to put it in there. As long as you get that amount of ounces of beads into it, it's just from experience, it's a pain in the ass. You know, those beads bottle up at the valve stem because it's just going through a small hole. And even though the beads are small enough to pass through it, you have to be, it's a slow process to funnel those into there and to just constantly be flicking the valve stem or the tire or the bottle to get them to go in like 
the valve stem usually what happens is all the beads rush to it well then it creates a blockade so it just creates more of a headache and more time so i typically put them in through the bead of the tire and the rim and then inflate it and we're good real fast real easy well let's shift gears no pun intended to talking about carburation fuel injection yeah yeah you yeah. seem to be eager about that being the ace mechanic that i am <laughs> what the hell do i know <laughs> yeah so for the longest time obviously we ran carburetors on everything and then we get fuel injection which i obviously like talking about the harley world that's going to come as a shock to many people yeah yeah first generation harley injection sucked it's called magnetic borelli at the time it worked what years were we looking at there uh first one would have been on an evo motor and like the think 96 or 97 on touring model bikes you could have got it and then right around the 99 to early 2000s you had them on mainly touring model bikes is what it was i don't think i remember seeing any on any other model than a touring model bike and then in 2003 i believe it was they come out with delphi or delphi or however you want to say it's d-e-l-p-h-i and that's the best injection that harley's had and they've had it forever like they really work well um so the biggest premise is everyone thinks well fuel injection is so much better it's more fuel efficient you can make more power with it you know you hit it it goes bang that's it not always the case to be honest with you with people that aren't very savvy on electrical stuff or injection or anything like that when you have an issue they're harder for some people to diagnose what the issue actually is um, a little bit harder to tune or more costly to tune, I should say. So on the first generation Magneti Morellis, there were tuners out there and you could get them close and you could do well with them. But from my experience, you never made all the power that you could possibly make with them. They just weren't good. And then they switched to that newer system, the Delphi, went to a single bore fuel injection throttle body. Um, injectors were in the intake runners like they were on the Magnani Morelli, but it seemed to be a lot smoother, a lot easier, a lot more fuel efficient, and a lot easier to tune. Now they're great, don't get me wrong. But what irks me so bad is when people say, well, carburation sucks. You know, they don't start well, they don't warm up very fast, you don't get shit for fuel mileage out of them. And that's where I have to disagree. I would too, because. I have never had an issue with carburation other than one. Uh, One time going up Mount Evans, which Mm -hmm. is the highest paved road in North America. It ran. I got up there and got bound fine, but you can tell there was an obvious difference. Yes, there is. So anytime you have extreme elevation changes, say you're a flatlander and you're wanting to ride at a high elevation, well, your bike's set up in tune for flatland. Right. Well, with carburation just out of the box there's no real good way to change it on the fly as far as the amount of fuel that you're getting now there's products like thunder jet it's essentially an assembly that you could port into your bowl or into your body and then it allows more fuel to come through the basically the intake side or the the air breather side of your carburetor well you can tune that you can change that on the fly by increasing fuel or decreasing fuel So that was a good way to build power and increase power. But in high elevations like that, it was a good way to tune it on the fly to add more fuel or take fuel away for elevation. Usually what I find with people that say that is like, oh, it doesn't get very good fuel mileage. It's just junk. It's just this or that. 
usually it's in the tune and usually it's in your setup. Everybody wants to throw the biggest carburetor on there because they think, oh my gosh, it's going to make so much more power because I'm getting so much more fuel. Well, when your bike's a stock naturally aspirated bike, it doesn't help you any to add a whole bunch of extra fuel. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The, they always want to run these big, huge carburetors or dual carbs and they just don't set their machine up and set their, basically set their engine up right to be able to handle that. So that's kind of where you get into. And as far as the starting goes, again, it, it all goes to your tune, your air fuel mixture, your jet sizing. Now, yeah, granted, you're going to have to choke most bikes that are carbureted a little bit to get them to start. Oh, boo-hoo. It's just how it is. Fuel injection does the exact same thing. It just does it for you. Yeah, through a throttle position sensor and air fuel sensors and stuff like that, it changes the blade on the throttle blade to a different pitch so that when it starts, usually you'll have one high idle for a second or two. Well, you know how people get annoyed with that extraordinarily exhausting process of pulling the choke a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. It's exhausting. Yeah, and I've got an old shovel head in my shop right now that it was actually mine. I sold my brother. I think we kind of have us talked about that. Yeah, we did. That prick right now, like I've got it. Not that I'm great, but push rod links are perfect. You know, everything's set up. Timing's really, really well on it. The carb setting is really good. You got it running the way it's supposed to run. Yeah. We can walk into that shop any day, pull the choke, hit it, boom, fires right up. Not a multiple cranks, nothing like that. It fires right up. I get a hold of the accelerator, rev it just a little bit, take the choke off, and hold the RPMs with the throttle to warm it up, save the plugs. You know, a lot of guys don't understand that when you choke one like that, it's overfueling, and then you let it warm up on choke, all it's doing is, is fouling out your plugs faster. So that's my process, and that son of a bitch starts first revolution every single time, and it's an old shovel head, so don't tell me that it can't be done or it's not adequate. And yeah. then I've got guys, I've got a couple of old time customers that run the Evo motor with, with carbs or even some twin cams with carbs. They're pulling 55 miles per gallon out of those bikes. That's freaking killer. It really, really is good with an air intake and with exhaust. Um, the one, there's one guy that's pulling like, 41 or 42 and he's got cams and a little bit more performance stuff but that's great freaking numbers like that's really good fuel mileage in my opinion for a carbureted rig that shouldn't get anything well then i got guys come in talking about how they're getting 28 and 30 because they have like i really like sns carbs um I've, i like the stock harley cvks i'm not a super huge mccuni fan but that's my own thing but sns makes a super e and a super g the Super E's are for stock motors up to 100 inch, and then the Super G is usually for 100 inch and bigger. Well, because the G is bigger, they take an 80 inch Evo or an 88 twin cam, and they throw a Super G on there because it's bigger. It's got to be better, right? Right. Well, then they get crap fuel mileage, not as good responsiveness, and they're just not an all, a good all-around riding experience. And then they want to knock them and complain about how carburation is so shit, and it's so antiquated and outdated. Well, it might be antiquated and outdated, but don't tell me it's not good. Because you can set one up to really pull good power, good fuel economy, and make a motor run really, really well. Cool. Well, now that you have, uh, going to kind of wrap this up a little bit, good quality help in the shop. Congratulations. 
Yeah. I assume that's still the case. Yep, that's of right now. Um, do you have any plans that you would like to do this summer, writing-wise, that otherwise you could not because you were yeah. stuck to the shop? I do. I do. So I've changed a lot of things in my personal life around where I'm going to hopefully have more time. Um, so I'm really hoping to get out to more events and more rallies and more stuff like that. But aside from that, I want to actually enjoy my wife a little bit and her and I actually go on some rides too. Does she enjoy getting out and riding with you on trips? She does. She really does. Um, this year, my daughter should be starting to ride as well. So I'm hoping. I'm excited to, to see that bike. Yeah, I'm actually picking up the paintwork after I leave here. So it'll be, it's it's getting there, getting really, really close. Cool. But I'm hoping to just be able to, to get out and leisure ride. That's something I haven't been able to do in, in a lot of years. Just outside of, you know, going to the shop at like 10, 11 o'clock at night, getting on a bike and ripping ass for a couple hours overnight and coming back. Like I want to go see some stuff and go do some more stuff. That's the same with me. I mean, so last night my wife says to me, you know, you're, you're back to normal. You're feeling great. There's nothing wrong with you. Why don't you get out of the house? I don't know if that was her being nice to me or her telling me to get the hell out of the house. Yeah. It's kind of a split deal there. You never, I hope to do a lot of long distance riding this, this summer and fall mostly. Man, I love riding here in the Ozarks, and there's a ton of great riding here. But there's one that I just have, I've absolutely dreamed about doing, and I want to ride. I want to ride south through Arkansas, maybe hit a little bit of Mississippi, go across Texas, and I want to. I want to go through the west, the desert area, you know, of West Texas. Well, West Texas, New Mexico, yeah. Nevada. Probably bypass California. I love riding in northern New Mexico, the Taos area, Santa yeah, Fe. Yeah. See, I want to get out there and just, I was actually just talking to my daughter about this the other day. I was having a shit week and I was just like, fuck, I, I just want to go. I want to just get on an old bike and I want to go out to the desert and just freaking sleep on a roll bag out in the desert area. Just get gone and disappear for a little while. So that's, that's one I'd really love to do. Sounds like a big time. It could be. Maybe you can take your daughter with you. Yeah, that'd be all right. On her new bike. Oof, yeah. That's, you know, I've never been, like, cautious, per se. But the closer it gets to my daughter riding, the more I'm like, oh, my God. Like, a little freak-out moment of I need to make sure that she's safe and taken care of. and Well, sure, your dad. That's your job. Yeah, you know, things aren't getting any less crazy in the world. Exactly. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. We appreciate your insights on the old carburetor fuel injection yeah, deal. Just, just don't be afraid of it, you know. Never had any bad experience with either one of them, providing you maintain your bike. Yeah. It's all about maintenance. Yep. So if you have a question for Randy or myself regarding any subject matter, uh, it, just any old thing, hit us up. Go to OzarkRides.com to the podcast page and there you'll find a uh, form you can fill out and ask us a question just because people have wondered. No, we do not sell your information or offer it to anybody. Um, frankly, I'm anal when I'm done reading the pod. Or the, when I'm done reading Come on the, now. Don't start. When I'm done reading the email, I just delete them. Yeah. Uh, I don't archive them. Yeah. So hit us up. Let us know what's on your mind. Uh, but until then, always stay safe. And keep it on two wheels.